We've been three weeks in this one verse, and we're not done. There's at least one more a week, and the reason is, is because this verse is so deep, so thick with meaning and implication for the Christian life, and, and so it would be to our detriment, to be sure, for us to just skip over it lightly like a rock on a pond. Here, here, in this verse, and a right understanding of this verse, really opens up the, the reality of, of what Paul has to say before it, in terms of the, living the, the Christian life, of putting off the the old man and his ways and to put on our new man in Christ. And, and in particular, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 5 and following, the whole implications and dynamics of, of how to live for Christ in our homes, in the church, and in the community. So, so this verse is a, is a very, very important verse. And so we're not done with it. And, and as we've been studying it, we've been studying it in terms of a series of questions and answers. And so I, I have a, a number of them. We're going to look at more of them. But there are questions and answers that we're, that we're using as our outline to look at this verse so we might better understand and live under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. We've entitled this, this whole mini-series, as it were, Living Under the Influence. Living under the influence. So, just to review quickly, uh, first question we asked a couple of weeks ago was, why is the study important? And as I've said, the study is important because it's impossible to live the Christian life uh, outside of the Spirit of God. He is essential to the living of the Christian life, and so we need to understand who He is and how He works. We have to have His enablement. Why warn about wine? That was the second question we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Why Warn about wine. Why does Paul say here, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. And so, why does Paul bring wine into the, into the equation, as it were, in this most important verse? And we noted that the, the point of contact that Paul is making here is not a comparison of wine and, and spirit filling but it's a, a comparison between the, the drunkenness that wine can produce, which brings about dissipation, and, the, and the, the influence of the Spirit of God upon us that brings about righteousness and holiness and, and moral purity and power, the things that are essential in order to live out what he has to say in the balance of this letter here. So it's about a state of dissipation and a, and a state of godliness and a godly approach to, to life. One is a product of wine and the other is the product of the spirit. We also looked last week, question three was, what is the filling of the spirit? And that, we spent our entire time last week just asking and answering that one question. What is the filling of the spirit? And, and it required us to take kind of a bit of a deep dive into Greek grammar. And I had uh, some really kind soul, one or two of them actually, I think, came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I love Greek grammar, so thankful you did that. And uh, so blessings on you out there that love Greek grammar and, and the rest of you, blessings on you for enduring our, our time in, in Greek grammar. But it, it's just essential, it's just critical. So without getting lost, just going back through it again, quickly, quickly, we learned that the verb translated here, filled, plerao, um, it indicates that the, that the Spirit is the means of the filling. He is not the content 
of the filling. That was an important point for us to, to really grab a hold of. And accordingly, a better English translation would be of 518, but, to be, uh, but be filled by the Spirit rather than to be filled with the Spirit, which would sort of indicate that the Spirit is, con- is the content of the filling. We're going to talk today about the content of the filling, okay? So we will deal with that. But he is the means by it. Furthermore, we noted last time that the, the verb translated be filled here is a present passive imperative, and we, got, we talked about that. An imperative is a command. The fact that it's, a, that it's a passive means that we're the recipient of the action of the verb, and the fact that it's in the present tense means there's a, the idea of an ongoing action associated with it. And so the big takeaway was is that we're not commanded to fill ourselves. We cannot fill ourselves. But what we are commanded to do here is to, is to continually place ourselves in a position whereby we are the recipient of the Spirit's filling. That's the command is to put yourself, put myself, continually in a place where the Spirit, where I'm being filled by the Spirit. That takes us to question four. Takes us to question four. This is the new material for this morning. And question four is, how is the filling of the Spirit uh, different from the Spirit's other ministries to the believer? In other words, how is being filled by the Spirit different from some of the other ministries that the Apostle Paul talks about that the Spirit renders on behalf of the children of God? Salvation is of the Lord. We never want to lose sight of that reality. Salvation is of the Lord. We don't, there's, we don't save ourselves. God saves. And so salvation is of the Lord. But the means by which he brings about that salvation is the Spirit and the Word. It is through his Spirit and his word, the Spirit's use of the word that he inspired, that God brings about the salvation of his people. The Holy Spirit regenerates the spiritually dead heart and, it, and, it, and floods them with saving faith. And he does so in response to the, to the word of God, to the scriptures, right? Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So the Spirit and the Word is the means by which we are saved and sanctified. But the Spirit's ministry to us doesn't end simply there with our salvation. He doesn't just save us and dump us at the side of the curb. His ministry to us continues in many, many profound ways. So just to uh, to elaborate a few, at the moment we trust Christ for salvation, we're told in chapter 1 of Ephesians and in verse 13, that he seals us. Paul says you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, the sealing is the idea that, that, that he marks us out as belonging to God. He seals us at that moment, marking us out as belonging to God, and he seals us he, uh, through the indwelling by indwelling us. So chapter 2, verse 22, where Paul says, in whom you're being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So he seals us by indwelling us, by indwelling us. So just thinking about that indwelling, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. 1 Corinthians 6 and uh, verse 19 where Paul says, uh, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. So he seals us, marking us out as the property of God by indwelling us. That is the pledge or the promise 
of our future inheritance. Back to chapter 1, verse 14 of Ephesians. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, a promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. In other words, he, through his, you know, the sealing, which is his indwelling, is our pledge. It is the equivalent of an engagement ring, as it were, that promises us that what God has begun, he will continue. He will bring it to conclusion. In other words, that we will remain the children of God forever. That we will forever remain the children of God. Why? Because the Spirit has um, indwelt us as a pledge that God will fulfill his word and keep his promises. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 22, where he talks about the Spirit, he says, who also sealed us, and a God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Now, all of these activities of the Spirit are the consequence of saving faith. At the time you place your faith in Christ, you are sealed, indwelt, and guaranteed the promise that God will finish what he has begun in you. You are now a child of God. All of this is distinct from another ministry of the Spirit that it often gets confused in talking about the whole filling by the Spirit and so forth, and that is the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit, simply put, is this. It is, it is at salvation when the glorified Christ, through his Holy Spirit, immerses or plunges us into the body of Christ, the church. At the moment of salvation, we are, we are baptized. And the word baptized means immersed. We are, we are plunged into the body of Christ, which is the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, classic text on such things, where Paul writes there, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, that there's only one church, there's only one body of Christ. And at the moment of redemption, at the moment of, that, that you trusted in Christ, Jesus himself plunged you into his body by his spirit. So these ministries of the Spirit are bestowed on every believer without exception at the time of salvation and they are instantaneous and they are non-repeatable. Instantaneous and non-repeatable. You are, you are brought into the body of Christ. Beyond that, there's no command anywhere in the New Testament for a believer to do anything with regard to these ministries of the Spirit. There's no command to obey here. And the reason is, is because all of this, the, the sealing, the indwelling, the guarantee, the baptism into the body, these are all the, the gift of salvation. They are part and parcel of what it means to be saved. In other words, one cannot be saved and not be indwelt by the Spirit, be sealed by the Spirit, be guaranteed by the Spirit, and be immersed by the Spirit into the universal body of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul explicitly says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, if one is not indwelt by the Spirit, one is not a child of God. As simple as that. He says, however, if you, uh, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, writing to the believers there, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong, excuse me, the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Without the Spirit indwelling you, 
You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. But the Spirit's indwelling of you is the sign, proof positive, that you are. That you are. Now this, all of this work of the Spirit, as I say, happens to us instantaneously. It happens to us invisibly. And it, and it happens to us without command. We don't do anything to bring it all about. That is very, very different than what Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, our text before us this morning, because here we have a command. In other words, there's something we have to do. We're called upon to obey. And it is to be filled by the Spirit. Or as we looked at last time over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 and 26, to walk by the Spirit. Those are commands. That means that it, it's incumbent upon us to do something, to, to be obedient. It also means that it's possible for us to be disobedient in these things. And our disobedience in these things directly affects our Christian life, our witness, our testimony, our enjoyment of the fellowship of God the Father through Jesus, his Son, in the power of the Spirit. The fact that these are commands, or here in verse 18 is a command, it indicates that it's not, as one writer says, an automatic bestowment at the time of salvation, but an injunction for every believer to follow continually, right? Present tense. So there's something you and I must do continually, regularly, and it's to be filled by the Spirit. Let me try to illustrate what I'm talking about like this. A newborn child shares his parents' DNA at the moment of conception. It's not a decision the child makes. They have nothing to do with it. It happens instantaneously at the moment of conception. The, the DNA of the mother and father are combined in such a way to form this child. The child now bears, right, the DNA of their parents. However, a child learns what it means to live out their family identity day by day, moment by moment as they're presented with the challenges of life and they respond in the way that their parents have instructed them. That, is a, that requires them to be obedient. It involves commands and it involves their voluntary submission to those commands. That's kind of the idea here. You become a child of God instantaneously by the work of God through his spirit, and there's nothing that you, uh, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved and, and the spirit's work in you all happens. However, from that moment forward, you and I have a job to do. And the job we've been given to do is to be filled by the spirit. Okay, question five. Question five. Who does the filling? If we're to be filled by the Spirit, an obvious question, I think, is who does it? Who does the filling? I mean, if the, the Spirit is the means by which we are filled, then we would want to ask an obvious question. Well, then who is the agent of that filling? Who does the actual filling? And the short answer is found right here in Paul's letter, and the short answer is Christ. It is Christ. He is the agent of the filling. So, for example, chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 23. 
I'll pick it up in 22. And he, that is the Father, put all things in subjection under his feet. He, the his there is Christ the Son. And gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Notice what it says now here. Who does what? Who fills all in all. Who fills all in all. Go over to chapter 4 and verse 10. He who descended is himself who also he who ascended far above all the heavens. So who, who's the descended and ascended one? It's Christ. So that he might, look at it, fill all things. So that he might fill all things. In other words, the answer to the question is, is pretty simple. It's not hard. Who is the agent of the filling? Who does the filling? The filling is, is, is done by Christ, who baptizes us into the body of Christ. It is Christ through the agency of his spirit. Okay? So you got that. Are we making progress? Not. Give me a little feedback. There we go. I'm loving it. Okay. So you don't have to work very hard on that last question. Question number six, you got to work on with me. Okay? All right, sit up straight. Square your shoulders. Here it is, question six. What is the content of the feeling? Boy, haven't we been waiting for this question? Right? We have, been, we have been seriously waiting for this. If the Spirit is not the content, if we are not filled with the Spirit as if He is some sort of substance or, or a content with, you know, that's poured into us, then what is the content that we are commanded to be regularly filled with? That's a great question. And I am so glad that I've asked it. <laughs> because now I have the opportunity to answer it. And I've been, seriously, I've been waiting like three weeks to get to this question. So here it is. To answer the question, we've got to think. We've, what we've got to do is some biblical reasoning here, and we've got, to, we've got to link together some statements that are made by Paul in Ephesians and Colossians. Okay, Ephesians and Colossians. And so you will remember, perhaps, that Paul's letters to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Colossae have a lot of parallels to them. He addresses many of the same kinds of topics in both those letters. And so it's, it's really wonderful to be able to compare those letters and gain a greater perspective at what it is that Paul is talking about. They were written from the, at the same time, from the same place, right? His Roman imprisonment. So we've got to do some linkage. All right, so, all right, so now you've got to work with me here, a little biblical reasoning. So Back to chapter 1, verse 23 of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 23 of Ephesians. Where we are told here that the church, as the body of Christ, shares his fullness, right? Look at it. The church, which is his body, comma, the fullness of him. So the church is the fullness of Christ. So Paul says there. So hang on to that thought. Now, slide over to the right to Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 19. Colossians 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Speaking about Christ, where Paul writes there, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. In who? In Christ. Chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 9. For in him, that is in Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily, in bodily form. So Paul's statements here in Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 9, is that the divine fullness is found perfectly in Christ. Okay? So the divine fullness is found perfectly in Christ. Hang on to that thought. The church is the fullness of him. Right? And the divine fullness, whatever that is, and we're going to get to it here, is found perfectly in Christ. Now, back to Ephesians chapter 3. And you notice in verse 14, Paul starts a prayer here. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and he begins to pray. But what I want you to do is I want you to look down to verse 19. What is it that he prays for? And here in verse 19, he prays, at the end of verse 19, that you, that is the believers there at, at Ephesus, may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He prays that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And that, that reference there is, is not a reference simply to the Father, but it is, a, it is a reference in context to the triune Godhead. That you might be filled up to all the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now we need to notice where this prayer comes. This prayer comes at the end of the first half of the letter to the church in Ephesus, right? Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are what's normally called the doctrinal or the heavy teaching section. And then verses 4, 5, and 6 are the, are the duty or devotion or, or, the, or the section on how do I now live. This is, this, is now, this is who I am in Christ, chapters 1, 2, and 3. How do I live in light of that reality, chapters 4, 5, and 6. So this is a hinge prayer. That's important. Okay, it's, it's the prayer that closes out the teaching, the theology side, and introduces the, the, the orthopraxy side, the, the, the uh, Christian duty and ethics side. So now, I've asked you to hold on to like three things, okay? I know you only got two hands, but let's pull them together. When we pull it all together... What we can conclude, what we can conclude about the, about the fullness of the triune God in, in the context that's being spoken of here is his moral likeness. That's what is being prayed for here. Is that you might be filled up with all the moral likeness, the moral attributes of the triune God. And that, and, and that is most perfectly expressed in who? In Christ, who is himself the fullness of God. Are you following me here? 
So Paul is, is, is praying for them, the believers there, and by extension, you know, for us, that we might come to the image of Christ, who himself is the fullness of God in all of his moral perfections. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, when Paul is dealing with the doctrine of predestination and so forth, he says we are predestined to become conformed to the image of who? Christ. We are predestined to become conformed to Christ. Does that mean that we're, you know, we're going to end up looking like him, beard, you know, whatever? And I think, of course not. What is the image of Christ that he's talking about here? It's the, it's the character of Christ that we have been chosen by the Father to become like the Son in the radiance of his glory, which is his moral perfections. All the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. You want to know what God is like? Jesus is the perfect representation. The perfect representation. We are filled by the Spirit as we, let me put it that way, as we are filled by the Spirit, we grow in the likeness of Christ. And we grow to, and take a look at chapter 4, verse 13 of Ephesians, we grow to a maturity that Paul calls the fullness of Christ. Verse 13. All right, it says where until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, we need to continue to be being filled by the Spirit so that we will grow in maturity. And when does our growth stop? When we have been conformed to Christ. When our moral character perfectly reflects Christ. Now, is that going to happen this side of eternity? Of course not. But we are expected to make progress. And we make progress as we walk by the Spirit. Now, this comports, beloved, with with the whole emphasis on, on Christian morality that occupies Chapters 4, 5, and 6 of this letter. I mean, just for example, look at verse 25. Right? The emphasis on Christian morality and Christ-likeness. Husbands, love your wives just as what? Christ loved the church. Just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Men, you married? I'm married. We are to be continually walking by the Spirit until that day when we reflect the image of Christ in, the, in our love for our wives. How long will that take? <laughs> until Jesus comes and gets me. Until Jesus comes and gets me. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 of this letter, chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians, set up the exact same way. 
Theology, doctrine at the beginning of the letter, duty, morality, the back of the letter. Okay? It's intentional. A spirit-filled life, get this, equals a life that emulates the moral likeness of Christ. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? It means simply this. It means to be living in a way that emulates the moral likeness of Christ. And the moral likeness of Christ could be boiled down simply to two commandments, right? All you have to do is love God and love your neighbor, and that sweeps up the whole law and the prophets. It is about morality. It's about morality. How are we to live? Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? Work harder at it? No. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. I just give you this quote by Daniel Wallace in his excellent Greek grammar, right? Greek grammar beyond the basics. I think he says this well here. It's a little, little shorty. He says, Believers are to be filled. Notice the. The, uh, the, uh, the imperative here, the command, believers are to be filled by Christ, by means of the Spirit, with the content of the fullness of God. The content of the fullness of God. Which is the moral perfections of God himself that are perfectly reflected in Christ. Okay, question seven. Question seven. How do I feel, fulfill the command? Now I know what it is. How do I do it? How do I place myself in a way to be filled by the Spirit? How do I place myself continually, constantly under the influence of the Spirit? Because that is how I will be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's how I become like Jesus Christ. That's how I... I um, shed that old man in Adam and begin to reveal and reflect the new man in Christ. Now, some teach, and it's erroneous here, but they will teach that one has to pray. So, I, I phrase it this way. Do I pray and ask for the Spirit to, for, to fill me? Is that what I need to do? Do I need to pray and ask for the, fear, the Spirit to fill me? And the answer is no. I'm not saying prayer doesn't have a part in this. I'll get to it. But we do not pray and ask the Spirit to fill us. In fact, there is no instance anywhere in the New Testament of believers praying for the filling of the Spirit. You'll search the New Testament in vain. It's not there. So, how do I fulfill the command to be being filled by the Spirit? The answer is in the parallel letter of Colossians. So I am going to turn you to the right, to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul writes there to the believers. And by the way, these, these letters were circular letters. Right? The letter to the church at Ephesus was to be uh, a copy made and, and, uh, and retained and then the original to be, to be um, 
what's the word I'm looking for, to be, to be passed on to other churches there in, um, in what's modern-day Turkey. And the, and the letter to the church at Colossae was the same, the same way. These were circular, both of these were circular letters. In other words, that the churches would have received the instruction of both letters. So the idea that, well, yeah, I can do this because I've got both letters, but they wouldn't have had both letters. No, they would have had both letters. They would have had both letters. But notice what Paul says here. This is, this is so cool. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Hang on to that. And then let your eyes go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled by the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Notice the similarity. Notice the similarity here. In other words, for, for letting Christ richly dwell in you produces teaching and admonishing one another and using psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and being thankful and so forth, walking by the Spirit, or, or excuse me, being filled by the Spirit produces the same outcomes. Now, we do not fill ourselves, right? Remember, we, it's a present passive imperative. We don't fill ourselves. But we're commanded to be receptive to the Spirit's transforming work and that is the same as that, that, that's that's equivalent to what Paul says here in Colossians 3 verse 16 of letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you be being filled by the spirit is is equivalent of letting the word of Christ richly dwell in you the word dwell it literally means to be at home at, to be at home at. It's, it's, as one author said, it's one thing for the believer to be in the word. It is another for the word to have free access to all parts of him. Yeah, Pastor David, I'm in the word. I, you know, I read the word every morning. My question is not, is are you in the word, but is, in the, is the word in you? Is the word in you? Now, the implications of this are very, very profound and very far-reaching. In order for the Word of God, right, the Word of Christ to richly dwell within us, to, to have that unfettered access to every room, every closet, and every nook and cranny of our lives, we must prayerfully immerse ourselves in the Word of God, the Word of Christ, the Scriptures. And we must consistently allow the Spirit to use those Scriptures to shape the way we think, the way we feel, the way we react, the way we respond to the circumstances of life. This is what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, this is what it means to be walking, or, or excuse me, to, to be filled by the Spirit. It's also what it means to be walking by the Spirit. The Spirit uses the Word. The Spirit never operates independent of His Word. Proverbs 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20. He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. By the way, these are parallel statements, you Proverbs students. Gives attention to the word is parallel to trust in the Lord. So when we put it all together, we put it all together, Paul's command here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 to be filled by the Spirit is an extremely practical command. An extremely practical command. An extremely practical command that that influences and governs our day-to-day activities and how we live out our, our Christian lives together in community. Notice again, I just want you to see this in verse 19 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Speaking to one another. You see it? Be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another. So this is not about me and God. I mean, it is, but it's, it's way more than that. It's, it's within community. I am filled by the Spirit. I am, I, am, I am transformed into the likeness of Christ by the Spirit in community with all of you. You are essential to my transformation, and I am essential to yours and we to each other. And the reason is simply this is that we need the encouragement that one another can bring. We need the exhortation that one another can bring. We need the admonishment that one another can bring. And we need the provocation that one another can bring. All of these are essential components to being being transformed in the image of Christ. In other words, if I just had my Bible and I went away to a desert island, boy, I could really grow in patience. No, you wouldn't. No, not at all, right? We need each other. We need each other. Beloved, every time you or I are confronted with a provocation, every time we're confronted with a decision, every time we're confronted with a temptation, every time we're confronted with a setback, every time we're we're presented with a success, We are in that moment faced with a decision. And the decision is simply this. Will we respond to this according to our new nature in union with Christ or will we fall back into the old way in union with Adam? Will we respond in the flesh or in the spirit? who operates in us through his word. Do you see it? I'll leave you with this. And I'm always encouraged by it. I call it the Psalm 1 man. The Psalm 1 man. Most perfectly reflected in Jesus. The Psalm 1 man. Here are the words of David. Blessed is the man who does not walk who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. 
It is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. To be filled by the Spirit is to prayerfully, deeply, richly, meditatively immerse oneself in the Word of God. I trust you've been encouraged this morning. I trust you've been encouraged. You're not in the battle alone. This is not a suck it up by the bootstraps, do better, right? Be a better person. This is about understanding how the Spirit of God works to transform you and I supernaturally. That we look more and more and more like Jesus, who is himself the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, may your spirit use his word this morning in our lives. Each of us need to hear this message and each of us need to consider it, meditate on the truthfulness of it and and then in obedience put ourselves in a position where your spirit is at work. Oh, Lord, help us not to close off part of our, our house, our lives, from the work of your Spirit. Let there not be secret sin, closets that contain stuff that, that we just say uh, off limits. You can't go there. Maybe it's, maybe it's old hurts, old slights or offenses, Father, that, that we've grown bitter over the years, and, and we're not willing to forgive. We don't want to forgive. Oh, Lord, break us down right now. Break it down and, and, and go in there and shine the light and clean out the abscess. Maybe it's something we need to confess, something we've hung on to, part of our lives that, that operates in the darkness. Oh, Lord, Shine the light of your word there too. Embolden us by your spirit to come forward and confess and receive healing. Do your good work in us. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.